my goodness me. Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to a very delayed episode of Grassroots, the podcast that used to be number one for grassroots women's rugby and now probably isn't because we've been utterly useless. You'll be glad to know that we have some episodes now recorded under our belt, so normal service should resume. Here's a new one discussing the challenges of handling a terrible season, mental health and the usual rugby-based chat. We welcome Andy Deacon from Halbro to discuss their new off-field range and hopefully this is the recording that helps us get back into the swing of podcasting again. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for fun. I'm Goose. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. So I messaged Rocky Clark and just basically said... I love you, Rocky. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> You're my friend. I said... Um, <laughs> my friend, Rocky. Rugby friend. Rugby, Rugby friend. friend. <laughs> Baby's friend. <laughs> I invite you to the dickhead. Um, so I said, thanks so much for getting me in touch with Rob from Lucids. Did the interview today and it was epic. And she sent me this. Hi, Molly. No problem at all. He's such a good egg, isn't he? So I hope you, uh, I hope you had a really good interview and it went well. Keep me updated on all the stuff that's going on with you guys. And if you need me to share anything, just uh, chuck it across, and I will hopefully cross paths very soon. Take care, buddy. 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 So- oh my god. <laughs> you can write her a Christmas card. Oh my god! What I was trying to say is, he's going to share our stuff. So, oh my god! You two are the worst. <laughs> I know, but you love us for it. <laughs> On a serious note, though, that is mega. She's a, she's a legend. <laughs> yeah. So meeting Rocky Clark is a bit like meeting God, anyway. Mm. Um, but you normally expect these guys to. Oh, that, don't be a kiss ass. Sorry. All right. He's All just. Right. He's just worried in case Rocky actually listens to this episode now and is like, oh, Batty thinks I'm a twat. She's really asleep over the fact that Matt thinks she's a twat. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt I factor much in Rocky Clark's day-to-day thinking. <laughs> but, if I, but if I do, and if you're listening to this, Rocky, I hope you're well and great work around the World Cup. Um, Molly wants you to come to her birthday party. She's jelly and ice cream. There's going to be a bouncy castle. Party poopers. <laughs> yeah. Put this shit out, you <laughs> but no, it's amazing when people actually like do what they say they're going to do because you often speak to people and they go, Oh, yeah, yeah, send it and I'll share it. And they never do. The amount of guests that I've interviewed, like for this podcast and others, that oh, yeah, and then we'll share it and they never do. It's like, it's not, What's so fucking all about sharing it? I know, it's like click a button, yeah, exactly. Anyway, here we are. So, firstly, I think we've got to apologize to our listeners because. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners like to listen to us do a podcast. And the one thing our listeners haven't been able to do for a little bit too long is listen to a podcast. So yeah. we, we, we're profoundly sorry. I think we wore ourselves out. Let's start the pod, I think, by explaining what the last couple of months has been like for us each, because it's not been a lot of fun, um, which will explain perhaps why we haven't been quite as on it as we would like to be with the recording. I think... Part of the reason that we're, what we're going to talk about on the pod today will explain kind of where I've been, but I've been like struggling big time and just been so busy. Rugby's consumed all my energy when I've not been working. Either that's coaching, committee meetings, playing, training. Uh, I sound like it's such a chore, but just work's been mega. 
got to the point where like I have no energy after walking the dogs three times a day working and then going to rugby like I'd, all I feel like I do is get up and then sleep there's there's no interim or slow down so yeah I've just had a really mega few months and just lost the love for a few things so I needed to make sure that I was focusing on myself and and getting any free time I could in when I could that sounds quite familiar, though I haven't had two dogs and haven't moved house in the process. But oh, shit, I forgot I moved house. Yeah, that boy. My birthday, moved out, holiday, like, <laughs> I forgot about all those. They're a distant memory. That was September, mate. That was fucking ages ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah, my excuses are, are pretty similar in the sense that I have literally not had any time to myself for a really long time. Uh, which has impacted being able to do recording. So to give listeners an idea, and this isn't me wanting you to get your tiny little violins out and start sobbing on my behalf, but producing a podcast episode is a pretty involved process and involves seven, eight hours of editing time. And that's even after the, the work that's done in the front end to actually record it in the first place. And that's without taking into account any sort of social media work in, you know, getting back to listeners and sort of stuff. So it's quite a full on thing to do. and when you haven't really even got you know an hour to yourself in a typical day it's not appealing sometimes to, to sit and stare at a screen after having stared at a screen all day anyway so yeah sorry will be better but there are reasons for it how about you Gitch? where have you been lurking you think every time i speak to you like in devon walking dogs or on holiday <laughs> or generally like living the dream yeah no it's just been like work has been off the scale busy I had to go, yeah, I've been back to Devon a couple of times, my sister's hem party, so that was quite fun, then had a funeral in Devon to go to, then I've been on holiday, like Molly, two dogs to keep entertained, and life is just, I haven't had a moment to like sit and pause and enjoy life and do things like the pod. So I'm currently sat here with a bottle of Rattler cider, thank God that I've made it to Friday. (laughs) In one piece. Well, I've got Prosecco in a mug. because I Oh, classy, Mo. Classy. <laughs> I didn't want to get a wine glass, so I just grabbed my mug, rinsed it out. <laughs> so I've made a massive error here because I completely forgot to pick up some beers or something from the shop when I was there earlier. Oh, So my batty. alcohol choices tonight involve sherry, half a bottle of um, mulled wine that's been left in the cupboard <laughs> since last Christmas, and, and an awful lot of half empty gin bottles and I don't really like gin just mix it all together make some sort of wow yeah surprise cocktail. <laughs> exactly yeah so I might have to I might jungle have to juice sidle off to yeah get some booze or maybe just be sensible and responsible and actually not drink tonight which would be good I mean my only error has been that I've nearly finished this bottle and I haven't bought any replacements for when it's gone which is a just rookie error on me and all down to the and floor, run downstairs <laughs> Yeah, yes, absolutely. We'll no. just talk about you. Exactly, you, that's why I can't go, because Batty will talk about yeah. me. And then you'll hear about it on the recording. <laughs> on the podcast, like, on yeah. So let's deal with the elephant in the room first. Yeah. The rugby hasn't been going very well, ladies, has it? I don't know, I haven't <laughs> really been there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about it, or do we need, or is this a session that needs? I feel like that's a therapy session. Planning and a lot of alcohol. Because let's be honest, the optimism of pre-season has been replaced with panic dread. and anxiety. Dread. Are, are you, right, you know, dread. Are, are, can we talk about this, or is this, you know, a bit too raw still? 
Yeah, so I've got a positive view on this, right? Well, you're not captain. <laughs> yeah, I'm not captain, so I don't have to deal with it. No, jokes aside, if we're really, really, really not putting the results in, we've got a low bar. So anything that happens on the pitch that's positive, any tries that get scored, any wins that miraculously appear from champs too for us is better than what we've been doing. So I'm kind of like, actually we're at the lowest of the low that we've been for some time. I think actually due to retention, a lot of players leaving countless injuries, concussions with the new protocol, which we won't go into because I do feel that overly cautious, but that's just another story. I feel like we're at the low now and the only way is up. I know that sounds cliche, but I feel like when we've done every game, and I mean this, every single game we've played each team once, I genuinely think that will be the turning point. But that's a long way off right now. And that's not me being positive, that's me being realistic. Because I could say we're going to win on Sunday with 16 players, but likelihood, not likely. I thought there was 17. Oh yeah, you know that, that one person that's not been to training for kind of six months that's put the name down and, you know, Joyce back from retirement and, you know... <laughs> Doris is ending from the nursing home. She's going to make all the difference. But um, no, jokes aside, Joyce is coming back out of retirement. Like we're at desperate straits. No, I'm not. We're at desperate times where I've had to beg, borrow, and steal. And Joyce, bless her, she's not a, you know a bad rugby player at all. She's you know pretty pretty good. But I shouldn't have to ask people that are retired to come back. It's pretty shit. So um, Joyce will be putting the boots on. Next stop. <laughs> And then um, you, Patty, in a wig. <laughs> and then me, yeah. Get your shaving on. But Definitely. no, I'm trying to be positive. We're building. We've got change of captaincy again. Vice captaincy change. New, fresh blood. Players that have never played in positions before. Like, I feel like it's coming. It's just going to be a bit longer than Sunday. I'll try and win. But I don't think it's going to happen. But this will be played yeah. after we've played, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's your take, Goose? So I've got a slightly different perspective mainly coming from the magpies side because obviously we started out the season with what looked on paper like epic numbers we worked really hard and got a second team set up appointed captain vice captain had kimbo slice helping out with the fixtures she's been an absolute dream we went to meetings we entered ourselves into a league we were really positive and then the season started and the first team well, in fact, the team as a whole, it's not just first team, actually. No, I take that back. The team as a whole, the numbers just vanished overnight. And so we're now withdrawing the Magpie team, our second team, from the league and having to basically park that, understandably, because we need to focus on the first team. And actually, the one positive that's coming out of that, and actually it's a huge positive, is a lot of players who perhaps thought they were second team, needed a season in second team, have stepped up and are playing first team which is absolutely amazing. But for me, I'm gutted because that's where I was going to get to do some coaching. We were having an impact on some players who were brand new to rugby. You and I, Batty, did Ready for Rugby and got some players through that. So I'm, I'm gutted about that. But at the same time, it's the wider picture, isn't it? And it's doing what's best for the greater good. So in terms of first team I haven't bloody been here Batty I've played like two matches I then swanned off for a few weeks and this is my first game back at the weekend so we'll see how it goes 
Yeah, well, from the outside looking in a little bit, it's a big ask to put relatively inexperienced players on pitches, you know, when you're playing at championship two level anyway, uh, and it doesn't take much to go in reverse. I guess the lesson to other teams out there, most teams that are reasonably successful and, you know, grow a little bit over a couple of seasons, you do start having that conversation about starting a second team. And the reason you want to start a second team is absolutely valid and important, which is you're getting players that aren't getting game time. You want to get players that are inexperienced, uh, a taste of rugby in an environment that's a bit more, where, where the results are less important, perhaps where you can have a more of a development approach to games. The reality is, is you need to, to run one team, you need at least 30 players. And I would go as far as to say more than that, because it doesn't take much to have some injuries and some unavailability issues and so on. To run two teams, you're going to then need to double that, really. Otherwise, what happens is, is you end up putting straining the resources of both teams and you, know, you end up having to cancel fixtures and so on. And, and the bit that's really, really difficult, and I don't think I've ever understood how to do this, and Molly, you're probably better at answering this, answering this as a concept than I am, which is you kind of need to know how serious the player group is because a lot of people go into it and they get a bit infected with the whole clappy, clappy girl power thing. And then in the reality of cold, wet, muddy training sessions, bruises, sore bits on a Monday morning, all that kind of stuff starts to bite away games that you, the bus leaves at nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, not back till seven o'clock at night. You know, all of that reality starts to bite and then people just suddenly decide that it's not for them. And very quickly, one, one does it, five do it. You know, it's, it's a bit infectious that and you can end up going backwards. But trying to gauge a player's sort of sense of commitment is something I never understood how to do. I don't know whether you've ever come up with any ideas, Molly. It's more resilience, I think, because like, you know, like you said about like the mud, the wet, the cold, when that creeps in. And I think, to be honest, before September hit, we were probably in a position where we could field two teams still, just. I don't know if you agree, Goose. No, I'd agree, because especially with the Inner Warrior League, which is, it's fantastic, that league, because you can play 15s, 10s, 7s, touch, contact, you know, whatever. So we could have fielded a squad of whatever threes. variation we could have. Yeah, threes. <laughs> if it's a scrum, you're all in. If it's a back move, you're all in. If it's a pod, you're all in. It's you're blindfolded and pissed at the same time. Yeah. 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 Like one one wrestling. <laughs> yeah, run run for three minutes straight and then breathe. But no, I think up until kind of mid September when the you know, the dark nights are starting to creep in, the pitches are wet, you know, people haven't had to deal with kids back to school and all those little factors that affect women's rugby, I think when they start to creep in, the doubt starts to set in and people are like, oh my God, I've got, you know, I've got a bit of a bit of work on now. The kids are back to school. I haven't really got time between the tea and the rugby training to do anything. And then it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. And it's about gauging the resilience of people. And at uni, oh my God, like we used to have this vote every year and, and Vicky Irwin used to do it all the time. And she used to be like, we're a social team or a serious team. And every year, one, two, and three, year one, two, and three, we'd put in whether we want to be competitive or we want to be social. And every year, everyone would be like, oh, I think we should be a social team. And then everyone would put the votes in and it'd come out that we were a competitive team. So either she was rigging it or <laughs> everyone, everyone was doing it. And, and, you know, Vicky did it right, to be fair, because 
you have to have the buy-in from the players. But at the start of the season, we asked every single person, do you want to have a Magpies team? Do you want to have a first team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I think they just lose the love. So it's about staying on top of it. But I think maybe this time we did it a season too soon. Yeah, maybe. We did it really primarily because that's what the more, not junior, that's not the right word, the newer players to the squad wanted. They wanted to be in a league that wasn't as competitive as Champ 2. So we looked at the figures on paper, we looked at their feedback and we went ahead what they wanted. And that was part of really hoping on kind of player retention as well because we didn't want to lose players who felt that they weren't getting game time at Champ 2 level. So it's such a hard kind of level to strike it's so difficult when you're dealing with players like molly who's played for what feels like forever to you know people who are brand new to rugby trying to strike the right balance is so hard and at the beginning of the season we thought we had it nailed but then factors play against you and i don't think we could have envisaged how many players would have been injured so early on in the season how many players aren't available that has led to this but we we live and learn we will grow and I'm already starting kind of planning to see where we go next season hopefully with the magpies so it will come we've just got to be patient that's all it is I'll be honest though I can never understand how the availability thing can come about because I just can't understand that why you join a sports team that's got fixtures that are known long in advance yeah when you can't play half of them, I just don't get it. It doesn't compute for me. I'm or you but, can't set your availability in advance. Like, no. you know, I knew my holiday was booked, so I specifically said to those games, I'm not available, like months before the games were even happening. Mm. It's people who can't set their availability on the Saturday before the game on the Sunday. Like, it's, it's a click of a button, for fuck's sake, people. Just use the app. Ah! Yeah. Do you yeah. ever think, though, that actually, this is just me being completely selfish, through every relationship I've ever been in, through every kind of family gathering that's ever been arranged or anything like that, everyone knows in my family and in the relationship that I've been in, Sundays are rugby. Sundays are rugby, whether I'm coaching, playing. If I get a free one, it's a fucking bonus and I can go and have Sunday lunch with my granddad, right? But they know that that's that. But I don't think everyone thinks the way we do. Because rugby no. is, like I said today, rugby is my life and it's our life. Yeah. Um, if there's a game on the telly and extra are playing, Goose, you're going to probably plan your weekends around the fact yep. that you want to watch Steve's play. <laughs> or Matt, if, you know, if Christian's yeah. playing now, obviously in the past it would have been you, if Christian's playing, that's ultimately what comes first before anything else. So I don't think some people think like us. They might be like, oh, I've got a christening or I've got, you know, Nan's 90th birthday where I've got to go for a meal where I'd be like to my nan like oi nan move it do it on a Saturday mate like it's not happening and she wouldn't expect anything different from me because that's ultimately what my priority is in terms of that set in stone and then I work my life around that and that's not to say I don't love my nan it's just to say actually nan thanks very much you've got seven other days in the week can you just move it can we have brunch or can we have tea like late on on a Sunday if you want to choose that but I don't think some people think like that. And that's not a bad thing. I just think rugby's our life. Whereas for some people, rugby's a hobby. It's an interesting point you've raised there because I think if you come from a sporting family or a particular team sporting family, it doesn't matter if it's rugby, football, cricket, whatever, there's that sort of understanding and that sort of, the sport is part of the rhythm of your household in a way, isn't it? I know with my dad playing cricket, he played cricket on Saturday. 
I used to love going to watch him and just being around the cricket pitch. You know, my sister used to go and do the scoring sometimes. You know, mum very occasionally went, but she, she wasn't really into it and stuff. But I don't remember it ever being a debate whether that would happen or not. And it certainly wasn't regarded as an optional thing. Whereas if I look at my households where my wife doesn't get team sports at all and doesn't like team sports, she sees availability as an optional thing rather than a, an obligation thing. You know, so if Christian's got a game on the Sunday, but she wanted to go out for a family day that day, she will be quite anti the idea of him playing rugby and will give him the excuse and give him permission to, to not play. Whereas that doesn't even occur to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's a game on a Sunday and you're fit and healthy and there's no good reason you, you play and you make yourself available, I guess. But that's definitely not the way people that aren't from that environment see it. They see it as a pick up and put down thing. Yeah, it's definitely that. It's kind of like, well, if you can go, then great. And I, and I do think that's part of the problem, not a negative against other people. And the availability for me is like Goose said, it's a click of a button. But ultimately, you're either available or if you're not, mate. And if you want to go to your nan's 60th birthday or, you know, your best mate's wedding, I totally support that. But at least give us fucking three weeks notice, not the day before. And I think it's about preempting what you've got planned rather than going out on a sesh on a Saturday night and then putting Sunday morning, sorry, I can't make it, I'm on over. Yeah, I kind yeah, of think. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, if you commit, you commit don't you like I'm probably kind of halfway between you two in the like rugby hasn't been my life like in the early formative years if I can put it that way like I came quite late to rugby so I already had other hobbies and interests before rugby became like my biggest interest and passion so I balance it as best I can but like there was an example a few weeks ago it was my sister's Hindu. it had to be on a weekend when we had a game I wasn't going to let my sister down for that. So family took priority in that instance. And either way isn't a bad option. It's about what's important to you. But in situations like this weekend, when your team are saying, look, we're short on numbers, who can change what? Then I'd look to do what move hell and earth to be there for my team if I, if I couldn't be there originally. And I'd at least try and do what I could. So it's, it's such a hard balance to strike because for a lot of people, it's a hobby. For others, you know, it's the the be all and end all, and you're dealing with a group of people who are stretched across that spectrum of priorities, and it's it will never change because we're not professional, we're not being paid to play rugby. That would be a dream, but you'll never fix that. And I I don't think I'd want to fix that because I think I like the fact that we've got a mix of people who rugby is everything and rugby is a hobby. I think that's a great balance to have in a squad. So yeah, there isn't an easy answer, Batty. That's the, the, the be all and end all to your question. <laughs> I do think that players need to perhaps consider the impact of being a bit flaky or picking, particularly when, the, when they pick and choose the games they want to play. Oh, definitely. The percentage chance of winning or how far away it is and all that sort of stuff. We always notice a yeah, Driftfield for us is like a massive drop off of players because nobody wants to travel to Driftfield. But no. it was probably one of the best games in terms of entertainment value yeah. <laughs> that we had. Uh, not the score, but yeah, it was totally. great fun. <laughs> no, exactly. But then, you know, the problem is, is when people think, oh, you know, I don't really want to go to Driftfield. That's, you know, crap. It's, I hate the place and it's miles away. They pull out, which means that you're begging and borrowing players to play, which means you're going out half-cocked and understaffed, which then puts pressure on the, the score that does go, which means injury 
chances increase and, and round and round it goes, you know what I mean? So I guess for listeners, if you're one of these people that does do that a little bit, then I get that it's not being all end all for people. And you're absolutely right, Gooch, you need that balance. But you do need to think about the impact it has on others because I, I do think it, the stress it causes coaches, the anxiety that I used to get in the run-up to matches about who was available. There's always a few that would leave it to the really last minute and you literally were just like, you know, you're in that mindset of, do I hassle? Do I chase? Do I go around the fucking house and pull out by their ears? And then you get that message like 11 o'clock on a Saturday saying, oh yes, I can play. And it's like, oh yeah, great, fantastic. It's all good now. All the opposite. And it's doom and gloom, you know. The stress that causes, it's just awful. It's just miserable having to go through that. And it, there are points where you just think, why am I doing this? You know, what's the point? Matt, could we ask some of our listeners, because we haven't done a fucking a competition or anything for a long time, I think we should ask for the worst excuses why they can't play. Like, I want to hear some excuses to, you know, what's the best excuse why someone can't play? Like, I don't know, I've won an OBE. Yeah, fair play, mate. Go to Buckingham Palace or something. But, like... Man's turtles died, or you know, I can't get out of bed because I've I've got sciatica, or some you know, my big toenails fell off. Like it, they're not viable. Like fucking strap it up, put your boots on, and get on the pitch, mate. So I'd really want to know, and maybe we could do a bit of a competition. What's the best and worst excuse for not turning up to a game? Yes, definitely. I think the worst one I've ever had was somebody that pulled out of a game because they were having their nails done on the Wednesday. Fuck off! Who was that? Were they a back? I, I, I'm not going to name names. It's somebody from a long time ago. Yeah, but the rationale was is that for some kind of wedding or something. So it, there was a legitimate kind of concern about looking good for a wedding or whatever. But they didn't want to get their nails damaged on the rugby pitch on the Sunday for this Fuck nail me. fitting on the Wednesday. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. As you both know, I went to my brother's wedding with five stitches <laughs> in my head and a swollen <laughs> eye. Tooth you know? <laughs> yeah. So that sort of excuse, like, although I probably will be rolling out that excuse for my sister's wedding in December when I'm like, I don't want to do contacts. I don't want to repeat history. <laughs> Definitely not. Well, there we go. Hi, Andy. Hello. Nice to see you. With Andy here from Halbro. We've got Louise here. Hi. And Jodie. Hi, Jodie. Hi. Andy, great to meet you. Uh, I've had a really interesting night this time. I've been able to give Shrewsbury their brand new kit, courtesy of Halbro. So thanks so much for all the work you've done on that. First question for me really is, you know, what, what are Halbro up to at the minute? What are your plans for the next uh, six months or so? Yeah, I think we're just at this stage now. We're just very busy sort of thing with... Um, you know, the, 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 through the season has just started and, and then it's been very busy. So we've just, uh, in the next couple of weeks, um, introduced a new off-field range, the Infinity range, uh, which has got 10 garments in it sort of thing and across all different colourways, which is going to be really exciting for us. And we're updating then um, new pictures and new edit for all the website as well, for the company website sort of thing. So we got, we've been very, very busy and, you know, and just as the, the actual market at the moment sort of thing, we're, we're taking our share in, we're enjoying sort of that buoyant time. Excellent. Off-field range, that sounds like a challenge. Where do we even start with that? Well, it's a lot to do with sizing and obviously ladies, women's rugby, no sort of thing. You know, you've got to do both, male, female, so, which we've done. And it, it takes a, you know, a lot of effort sort of thing and to get it right. And over, this is taken us the best part of two years sort of thing to work out sizing, work out the colours, manufacturing different uh, materials and what goes into making a, a very um, um, unique and sort of like modern range. 
We were chatting on the way here, weren't we, actually? Yeah, we were. So we were wondering how you actually come up with the, the way the women's fit kit uh, actually looks, fits. Do you like have some different size women mannequins or do you have some live models or do you just, is it trial and error? Yeah. Do you make it up with clay models? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we have experts out there, the, the production managers and stuff like that, and there's, they work with designers, then they work long sizes, then they put different materials together, fabrics together, and, and then it's, uh, I wouldn't say the trial and error, but you sort of like, then we got models that we, uh, live models that, that we try, yeah, then we do trials with it, yeah. and, it, and that's where it, it, you just can't sort of like do it sort of thing, and that was good through COVID as well, because that enabled us to do sort of like a lot of that work where we weren't busy because everything yeah. was shut and so chance, yeah. so we got a chance to do that and it was very so that was one of the benefits of covid if there was one though that was one but then and obviously you could then try it on different girls and they were performed under stress and stuff like that and then you get to the point where yeah you're ready to go and that's that was a process really and it but it is a you know 18 months two years sort of thing before you wow. get there sort of thing and um, but yeah, we got there and um, we're really pleased with what we've done can't wait to see it. Sounds very exciting. What kind of barriers do you face selling women's kit to clubs? Because we've had all kinds of problems trying to get women's kit at our club. I don't think there's any barriers really. I think the days have gone by when you know the women or girls sort of thing expect hand downs from sort of like old blokes' kits and and um, and very sort of like outward, modern, forward thinking that they know what they want. That they, you know, they know um, you know that that's not right, and and they know that there's in the marketplace there are like us and others that can provide a range and can provide a, a, a playing kits that um, that they actually want to wear and they feel good in sort of thing. And then it makes them proud to be associated with you know whoever they play for because if they look good play good feel good and all the rest of it sort of thing so and it's only right that they should be because they should be on a level playing field with the men absolutely can't argue with that can we <laughs> yeah we did a survey recently was it 85 percent of women's teams don't have women's fit kit yeah yeah I, yeah and but that said um, because we do so many women's kit now because it's coming from what, like, those sort of figures where it is sort of like busy and, and, and from a, 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 a business point of view we're glad that it is because men's rugby is sort of like dormant in, you know, there's, in what it sells in what we sell now so you know, now the women's coming up it's sort of like it cuts you know, that little what we may lose Slots back up. up sort of thing so yeah and it's, and it's been very beneficial and you know, but I think people actually know what they want now really as well and they're getting used to sort of like having a nice kit and they want a nice kit and if they don't get it then they sort of ask questions why they can't get it really. So I imagine women are slightly more discerning customers than men. Um, equally, equally, I would say. <laughs> I don't believe that. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I, would just, I would just say that they, that um, women are more um, particular in what they want, and men are sort of like, and, and so, as in the product, and men are just sort of like, many of them just have it what they handed to sort of thing, or what someone gave them as a sponsorship, but um, women definitely know what they want, yes. What sort of things do you get most requests for for women, like lengthwise, size-wise, what's like, the thing to focus on, obviously, with your researching live models, what have you noticed a pattern of 
more need within the women's team? It, it was yeah. ma mainly the material sort of thing, because right. the material used is, is different from the actual men's material, because the material in, in women, there's, there's a percentage of lycra in it, mm. so that gives it more stretch sort of thing, so it gives more freedom for you know, um, different shapes sort of thing to be equally sort of looking the part as well, and I think that was, that was key. Because yeah. we tried to do the same material, but a different cut, but it didn't sort of like work, but you put a bit of lycra in it, and it just gives you that bit more tolerance for women as well, which is you know, fantastic. And you know, and you know, and it goes across many sizes as well. To you know, right up or right up the, the smallest lady to the biggest one, sort of thing. So there's the range of sizes is is, is fast. Mm. Yeah, you can't just have small, medium, large. You've got to be able to fit. Everyone. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and the, the, the shorts, for instance, as opposed to got two inches, it goes up one inch every time. One inch oh, every wow. time. One inch mm. tape. So because of the you know, waist hips, is, you know, is, mm. is 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 different, obviously, to, to yeah, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. What sort of innovations are coming into kit manufacture at the moment then? I think in, 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 if you look at the World Cup, and you'd be, I, I was quite surprised that the innovation, that there, there's not a lot of innovation there sort of thing, mm. that they've gone back to sort of like a bit more traditional. Yeah. You know, um, manufacturers now putting collars on it, it's sort of like dummy collars, well, it, you know, it looks as though they've got a placket and stuff like that. And others have sort of like just gone with a plain range, you know, with a, sort of England's, England's kit is very plain and stuff like that in what it looks like in the pattern. But um, I think as it stands, it's, it's just about sort of like um, the durability, especially in the community game. And if you can get a product that, you know, you know sometimes I'm sure it's gone too far because they're not buying because they last sort of thing, but which is good. But um, I would say, you know, as, as it, at, at the moment, it, it, it's very sort of like um, level playing field, really, that, the, you know, some polyester sort of mixed with a bit of lycra as well. It's, it's, and, and different fits. And, and there's, you know, the and different colours really, round neck is still popular which is, you know, and long, and, and plus it's coming back the traditional sort of like placket with a, with a collar mm. which you used to have when you had um, the old cotton shirts as well, so, mm. and in some, I've got customers still who would wear a cotton shirt if they could sort of thing. I like Everyone likes cotton shirts till it rains. Yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, you've been rolling around in the mud. Yes, yeah, yeah we've got to wash it. Carrying the kit bag home was never, it was always a challenge, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Take three months to dry them. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Ali, it's been great to meet you today. And yeah. again, thanks so much for what you guys have done for not just the podcast, but also for Shrewsbury Rugby Club. So yeah. um, they look great in their kit. Great start for the season for them. And we wish you all the very best for the season. Yeah. And we'll do our very best to get our club in Halbury kit when the uh, tender comes up next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please do. It's nice to meet you too. Yeah, Thank you too. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Cheers. Anyway, going back to. Loose heads then. So Molly, good session this morning with loose heads. There'll be a video coming out soon, starring all three of us actually. How would I describe the experience this morning of being interviewed on camera? It was, yeah, disarming, I think is the word I'd use. Was it cathartic but, for you, Bathy? Just out of interest? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Not cathartic, no. I, I felt, what it gave me was a sense that it's still pretty raw, even all these years later, and how I don't talk much about that side of my personality, I suppose. I, when I talk about it, I talk about it in top-level terms, really, and don't really feel it as well as at the time I talk about it, if that makes sense. It's been like put back to your back of your mind, hasn't it? And like, yeah. It yeah. You've thrown away the key for a bit, and then sometimes you've but, but to have a kind of stranger ask me questions about mental health and feeling like 
I can kind of just breeze through it and then finding actually, oh no, I can't was quite, was quite unnerving, but I'm really glad that I did it and really glad that, I don't know what your experiences were like because I wasn't there, but I came away from it feeling like it was important and I'm glad I was involved in it. Yeah. Like we made a bit of a joke with Alex, the cameraman, you know, to be like, oh, do you stand behind people that don't cry and pinch them? And uh, to make them cry, because he was like, oh, yeah, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm really sorry if I don't cry, like, because I didn't expect to. And I did, by the way, but I didn't expect to. And I was like, Alex, do you stand behind these people and pinch them to make them cry? And he's like, well, it's better content if you cry. So, you know, made a bit of a joke about it. But what I found is that I thought that Rob and Alex were just so down to earth. And so I didn't feel like I was on camera, apart from the massive bloody moonlight that was on me. I don't know about you, Matt, but I don't know, like the way Rob spoke and the way Alex kind of asked you what you had for breakfast to kind of get the sound and stuff done. I just never felt like they were ever asking me anything that was intrusive or invasive of my personal space or personal boundaries. It felt quite natural to me, even though I was talking about some challenging stuff. And for me, like I've spoke to Goose and I've spoke to you and I've spoke to people about my OCD, but, you know, I've never spoke publicly about the fact that some of these things that happen in my head are really dark and really horrible and I made a bit of a joke about it you know OCD is just about being clean and tidy (laughs) and I can confirm my house is a shit tip most of the time so yeah like I didn't expect to cry but Goose will tell you I definitely cried yeah she did did you break down into a curl into a little fetal ball no 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 I kept it together, mate, Like, but equally, like, I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to look emotionless. And actually, I didn't, it wasn't forced or anything. I just, it was like a release for me of being able to let these things out. And Hannah and Joe both said, like, Jesus Christ, I had no idea. And I think the same for you. Like, when you were talking, me and Hannah were, like, welling up in the background. And I know Goose was as well. And it was just massively important talk about it and I'm so glad that I invited you guys along because it was comfortable for me to talk about and it felt like I was sat in a living room talking to you guys with a cup of coffee and you know like I say like Rob and Alex were just were just ace and I feel like we captured a lot of of really powerful stuff so much so that they didn't need to do any be real because we'd we'd smashed <laughs> amazing how about you Gucci do they, do they manage to get, get into your cold dead heart no <laughs> nobody no. gets into my cold dead heart <laughs> it's locked away under a key that heart they asked me questions about what i thought of molly <laughs> so yeah obviously i told them that she was a grade a twat and that i'd never want to be around her <laughs> um no, <I> didn't. <laughs> we did like some like some footage of us passing a ball around whilst the grounds team very kindly lawnmowered the pitch behind us which was obviously great fun and then they wanted some kind of material about what molly's teammates thought of her so I was more than happy to oblige and yeah it was really nice to kind of explain to somebody because nobody ever asks you this do they nobody ever asks you what does your friend mean to you and I said it then and I'll say it now like Molly's my ride or die we will go off into the sunset over a cliff edge like Thelma and Louise me and Moll because that's who she is to me be fucking pushing the car yeah (laughs) 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 we'll have you in the boot batty you know (laughs) (laughs) trust that like a fucking pig yeah (laughs) I found the whole experience like really positive experience like talking about mental health can be 
it can be upsetting it can be really really hard and really tough but talking with the loose heads guys today like watching you and mole relaxed and sharing your stories which i with you back i hadn't appreciated and it, i feel like a, a shit friend because i hadn't appreciated how bad it got for you it was really eye-opening it was really i can't think what the word is it was a privilege that's the word i'm looking for to be there yeah. and to hear both of your stories and i know it will go on to benefit a lot of people out there and it's just you kind of think you're like there we are in our changing room just having a bit of a laugh and a giggle and sharing stories but it will affect so many people and i hope that it goes on to help so many people if yeah, if it just touches one sense. person and they reach out because they've watched that video then that's all you can hope to achieve isn't it at the end of the day no totally i think the thing i probably i, I wish i'd articulated slightly better was i think we need to talk more about symptoms of mental health because that's the thing that's like often uh, kept in the back pocket a little bit yeah you know because we talk about oh you know how do you feel out of 10 and are you really okay? And we, you know, we, we, everyone's encouraged to kind of open up and, t- and talk about how they feel, but people don't talk enough about what it actually is like because that would have massively helped me. I had no idea what a panic attack felt like. I had no idea what feeling well close to suicidal felt like. Yeah, you know, I had no idea what it felt like to feel completely like directionless and worthless, and until it happened, and it was like fuck. And it, but when I've talked to other people, they're like, yeah, I've been there. Like shit. Well, we should fucking talk about this stuff more. You know, OCD. What does it feel like? You know, what goes through your head? You know, so when somebody else has it, they're like, "Shit, man, that's me." You know, we just skim over that bit. You know, it's like you go to a doctor with a fucking with your sore knee, and he says, "Well, does it hurt? You know, yeah. does that hurt? Does this hurt?" You go, oh, "Yeah, that hurts a little bit." On you know, what's, what's the pain out of ten? Like you, you, you go into like quite frenzied detail about like you know your knee hurting, and yet the fact that you're sat in a, as I was sat in a doctor's surgery, unable to communicate, crying my eyes out in front of my kids and wife, you know feeling utterly bewildered at what was happening to me. Like I need to tell, be able to tell people what that feels like. So what happens to them, it, A, it's not, not so much a fucking surprise and B, they can recognize some of the symptoms before it gets too bad. But I think as well, that's important, not only for the person who's suffering with that mental health episode, but for oh, the, totally. but like for the friends around them, because I'm a massively private person. I, I don't really talk about the difficulties and the struggles that I've had, but Molly will know if something's up. So she will know if I'm quiet. She will know if I'm doing things out of character. And she'll say, are you okay? And if I say I'm fine, she's like, no, I know you're not fine because you're doing X, Y, and Z. So what's going on? So I think it's it's just as important for those around you to know what your triggers are, what your symptoms are, so that when that... Because sometimes you don't even recognise it in yourself. And so that then they can say, are you sure you're okay? Because when this happened to you before, this was the sort of things you were doing. These are the sort of things you were saying. Are you sure everything's okay? And actually, if somebody pushes that, it's very easy. I do it all the time to say, no, I'm fine. And just brush it away and not, and shut the conversation down. Whereas if somebody knows you really well and they start spotting those symptoms, you're more likely to open up if they'll say to you, you say you're fine, but I've seen you doing X, Y, and Z. You've been saying this, you've been saying that. You're clearly not fine what's going on it's just opening the conversation up in general isn't it like you say from not just what it is to how to spot it it's interesting while you talk about like dark thoughts because they're it can feel quite shameful concept when you have really de- negative thoughts and thoughts that you, you, you that almost frighten you right that's really yeah. hard to talk about 
I think, you know, like some of the thoughts that OCD sufferers have can be a range of different things, but this is what I kind of hammered home in the interview. Like people will say, oh, you're so OCD about that. You're tidy. Like you, you like cleaning. John can confirm that is not true. Like, <laughs> I, am, I bet he's tidy. <laughs> he looks like a tidy kind of guy. He's not. Yeah, he is tidy. Does he, does he <laughs> on his socks? Like I'm just sat at my desk now. I've got a pen, uh, adapter, my back pod for my costochondritis, uh, a nail varnish, a notepad, some keys, a candle, some rugby tape, my keyboard and my laptop from work and an insurance letter. That is generally my desk right now. But when people say to me, oh, you're OCD about that, or they say like to flippantly to people like, oh God, you're OCD, man. Like stop being so OCD. I don't think people understand. No one would ever say, why are you being so anorexic? Like, no one would ever say that. No one would ever say, you're so anxious. But they would probably say, I'll stop being so depressed. But to somebody that has been depressed or somebody that has got OCD, those flipping comments, like, hit home. We never say in this day and age now, stop being so gay because it's not okay. But to say someone, oh, oh my God, you're so OCD about that. Ha ha ha. I'm like, fuck me. Like you don't have a clue. It can be really stupid things. Like when I was little, if I didn't check the plugs 10 times, my granddad was going to die. If I didn't check the door 50 times, my mum was going to die. If I didn't wash my hands a set amount of time, I was going to die of some contagious disease that I'd invented in my head. And that was very about the compulsions that I had when I was younger. I then learned to manage them through CBT. But now it can be, I'm driving, I go over a pothole, I've ran someone over. It can be, I've gone out on a night out, I've had a drink, or I've beat someone up and I don't know about it. It can be, oh, I've left my straighteners on, the dogs have died, why not a bit home because I've not turned them off, even though my straighteners turn themselves off because I invested in some that do that for me. That then manifests and it turns into ridiculous awful things I can be watching a tv program and convince myself I'm going to prison because I've actually murdered the person on telly I can talk about it openly to you guys but in the moment today I don't want people who I'm talking like on that video knowing that that's the type of things that go through my head because I feel like a fucking nutter and it might sound like something that you know the average person might think you know when you're driving and there's a and someone cycling along you could be like fucking hell I could just run them over but to me, that becomes real. And the whole drive to the rugby club then, I'll be thinking, oh my God, I've ran someone over. And then by the time I finish rugby, when I've had my peace of mind because I've been training, I'll then be manifesting over the fact that I went past one cyclist and I've ran them over. And when I get home, the police are going to be at my door. And that sounds completely ridiculous to somebody that hasn't got OCD. But that's the type of thing that manifests. And when you're really low, you can't rationalize those thoughts because someone else would be like, oh, I went past a cyclist. Focus on it for a second, move on. But for someone that's got obsessive compulsive disorder, that thought then manifests into your head and becomes real. And it becomes that you're fixated on it and you manifest. And that will continue constantly until you feel better, until you distract yourself which is where I struggle because rugby's great for me. When I'm not in rugby season, I've got no outlet. And that's why I always struggle in rugby off season because I don't have that anger release. I don't have the aggression. I don't have the people around me constantly every two days or, or things like that. And like I say, for anyone that has got OCD, I would encourage them to 
listen to these things and realize that they're okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I, do you I, think I, the sound works? Like, well, no, no, honestly, me. Like, <laughs> no, no, generally no, not. You know. No. Um, for a normal, not say normal because I don't want to use that word, but for a person that doesn't have OCD, Batty. Yeah. If you drove past a cyclist, would you be like, oh my God, I've ran them over? No. No. Exactly. So to you, it sounds ridiculous. To me, someone that's bulimic saying, I have to make myself sick because I feel so fat, to me sounds ridiculous. Do I think it's ridiculous? No, because I can actually understand that that's how they feel in the moment. But I don't think people that don't understand mental health can be like, oh, Batty, I know how you felt sat in that in that doctor's surgery. Because until you've had mental health, you can't understand it. I feel like no, you, you can't, relate. No. You, you, that's what I mean about, it. like, talking about Simpsons, you know, 100%. Because listening to you talk there, you think you'd be part of my brain thinking, wow, that's, that's nuts. But then I remember once, a long time ago, I was working for a company, and we weren't doing great as a business. And I personally wasn't performing brilliantly, despite working pretty hard and I was starting to get more and more anxious I was going to lose my job and I started to get properly paranoid about getting sacked and started to like read weird things into comments that people made in the office and started to imagine the process of being sacked like really vividly so I dream about it and I so I remember my boss talking about somebody he'd worked with that had the same initials as me and that he'd sacked and like I just got this absolute paranoia that he was actually talking about me. Do you know what I mean? And it was like really real in my head, really real. And it, you know, it, it went away and it was all fine. But I remember at the time, like I was having delusions about it because I was that paranoid. It was, it was, yeah, not nice. Yeah, but to someone that's not had that, you know, and I know Gucci can probably relate to some of the anxiety about stuff. But to somebody that doesn't experience that, you cannot, you can't relate to it. Unless you've had no. a mental health uh, no, scare. Can't. My mum is amazing because she's a mental health nurse. She understands that stuff. And she was the one that kind of signposted me to the OCD treatment. My dad at the time was like, Jesus, what's going on? But now because he's heard me talk about it, he's researched it and he's looked into it. But I guarantee if someone was to Google depression, OCD, bulimia, anorexia, anxiety, like bipolar any of those mental health disorders they would be surprised at what mm. it actually is because it's just yeah. what the stigma is oh you're bipolar you have good days and bad days it's like no it's like manic one way or the other and it's really debilitating but unless yeah. you've lived and breathed mental health you've probably never looked at what it actually means and, and the manic can be really extreme like really extreme my next neighbor who had he's had lots of mental health problems over the years when he was in a manic phase of his bipolar, oh my word, the crazy stuff he used to do. It was really shocking to see, actually. But yeah, you know, good, like you say, though, great to have the conversations. And whilst I suppose I was a little bit, this morning, a little bit sort of anxious about having a personal side to me out in the, in the big wide world, as it were, the other part of me thought, no, it's important. You know, I'm glad I did it. And I think the work that Loose Heads is doing is in the game is brilliant. And, I think, the more, you know, the more we do it, the better. And to have people like Rocky Clark behind it, yeah, can only get better. I think we should have. I think we should definitely have a Loose Heads v Nomads match. Oh, my God. That would oh, be amazing. Would Which be one amazing. do I play for? Which one do I play for, man? Half nomads. You know, everyone wants to see the knee pads out on their team. <laughs> <laughs> Just need- 
It's a special privilege I get every game. Let's talk to Rob about that. I think that'd be awesome. Pick a venue somewhere. Could be our place, doesn't matter. If somebody wants to host it, some bit more centrally, even better. The loose heads, have you been banned from calling yourselves barbarians yet? Uh, no, we haven't actually. I'm waiting it's for coming. that. I did it's say coming. like they haven't found it yet. Like, why have we been brandished and they never did? And I did say yeah. that to Hannah, the manager. I was like, Hannah, like, how did we get punished and you're fine with it? And uh, she was like, Oh, we've not heard anything yet. We got dobbed in though when we uh, did the grassroots name at Barbarians. Somebody contact them. Yeah, could well be. Somebody contacted the Barbarians directly and told them that we were stealing their brand. I have a fair idea. I know where it came from. Uh, anyway, so that's a good shout, isn't it? Let's let's talk to Rob, see whether or who the, the team manager, maybe end of season, the loose heads barbarians versus the grassroots nomads. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm in. I think that's fab. Can I be water Amazing. girl? Definitely. We do need it in the north, though. Yes, we do. This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. My Grassroots Salute is going to the Beth Branson Memorial Match. And it's at Bridgewater and Albion RFC. And basically, um, she was killed by somebody that was dangerous driving. She doesn't look very old. I don't know the exact age but it's everywhere basically there's a raffle match charity auction and a scan me qr code so i'm going to put it on our instagram but yeah she was killed sadly in a high-speed car accident where someone's been dangerous driving man that's rough that's horrible that's one thing we haven't had to deal with as a team yet hopefully we never do it's bad enough when people get bad injuries but you're so close to people aren't you and you know they become such a big part of your, your crazy extended family the thought of having that happen is just unthinkable. Yeah, just horrendous. It's a lovely way, though, for the, the team to remember her and yeah, totally. like celebrate her, which is just it's a lovely, lovely thing. Yeah, it's awesome. I hope the game goes well. It's awesome. Yeah, I hope it becomes an annual thing as well. Yeah. Actually. I think these things can go on for decades sometimes because there's always a good reason to do it. And, it's you know, it's, it becomes a part of the rugby calendar and keeps that, that memory alive, but also keeps like people focused on the... The community side of what they do. I think that's mega important. It's been a cheerful episode, hasn't it? <laughs> I feel like we've had a bit of a piss take. What can we say to lighten the mood? <laughs> We're going to beat Southport with 16 players? Yeah. It could happen. It could, yeah, we, it happen. we'll do it, Mel. I'll try not to get a yellow card this time. Yeah, I've got some exciting news as well, actually. Go on. I've actually got a 15 for the under 15s. That's amazing. Woo! This is mega. That's so, huge. For listeners, started the season or the pre-season, with eight players, it became six players. And I was press-ganged into coaching on the 15s because I wasn't really that wild about it, if I'm honest. But I did it because otherwise the team would completely fold. And in the end, I thought it was probably a good idea to keep myself in coaching. Anyway, gradually, through a bit of hard work, a bit of luck, the uh, parents and the players getting involved, we've now got a squad. So whilst there's still a bit of work to do, very happy so they're going to play their third game on Sunday and whilst the results have gone as predicted the first game they played was you know was a bit of a car crash you want to be good fun second game started badly but they actually won the second half which was really cool so yeah we're playing a um, league or something on Sunday so whilst I still don't expect they'll win they're definitely getting turning a corner so yeah all good that's amazing back well done yeah 
Happy about That's that. Better. Well, good. Well, look, listeners, we apologise for our tardiness against this episode out, and we apologise also for depressing you for big chunks of this listen. Sorry. Um, what it's I'll do is... Uh, you can't say that, Batty. Take that back. Sorry. Yeah. So I apologise, listeners, for you know, lowering the general vibe of this episode. Hopefully, by the time it goes out, I'll have found Sherry Davis was ill from whatever she's doing and brought some crazy back into it. I can't say that either, can I? <laughs> I brought some. Yeah, you can't. No, no, no. You Fun. basically can't say shit now. But it was really important <laughs> to talk about this. And obviously, we'll get Rob back, Rob to get on. And it's basically okay to not be okay. And I know that sounds cliche, but actually, tell your mates you're not okay. And like we said today, like, what are you out of 10? And I was like, oh, I'm a seven and a half. And I was buzzing. And then I came away from it going, oh my God, I've just told the world that I'm a nutter. I'm not a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? And I was like, oh my yeah. God, it's out there. There's no going back now. But it's okay to Definitely. tell your mates that you're struggling and it's okay to tell people what's going on in your head. Well, I think to lighten the mood, I'll just play this because, you know, she's not here. Why not? I'm not going to lie. Yeah. If, if death was imminent <laughs> and there was no time for anything else, probably have a massive wank. <laughs> the other day I was driving along and I turned the radio on just as somebody said, what would you do if there was a impending nuclear attack and you were stuck in a bunker on your own and my first thought went to Lou and that comment because that is all that is what you've now programmed me Bathy to think when somebody says it's the end of the world is what Lou's gonna do <laughs> yeah do you know what three different people who remain nameless have said to me do you know what I wouldn't say it publicly but I would do that too I wouldn't say it on a pod <laughs> yeah <laughs> it wasn't Jody out of interest but three separate people. She was one of them, with two others. Good times. One of them is actually the coach, or the or one of the, the more, I'm not sure what her actual role is, but she's a coach of the under-18 girls section. Oh, I know who that is. This is amazing. Yeah. I'm going to message her now. Am <laughs> <laughs> I just send me the clip? Uh, uh, and I'll play it to her and say, did you say this? <laughs> <laughs> Right, the story's out there now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I don't feel so bad for opening up about my mental health now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So maybe we should do an episode. Rather than we, everyone opens up about their mental health, everyone opens up about their masturbation habits. And I won't be available for that one. <laughs> Goose. Jesus you know, Christ. Some, I think you need to just open up a bit, Goose, and be a bit, yep. be a bit more liberal with your... I'm happy in my little, my little world. It's fine. Leave bubble. me to it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Get some truth serum from somewhere. Inject it into goose. <laughs> <laughs> Ever goes a dark and disturbing place, your mind, goose. It does. Yeah, you don't want to go there. <laughs> no, exactly. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. It has. It's been lovely. On that note, thanks for listening. Like and share. Sorry, 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 sorry for not releasing the episode. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your right. weekend. See Peace you soon. out, homies. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to episode 15. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for your understanding and patience whilst we had an unscheduled break. The last few months have been challenging to say the least, but we'll do our very best to make sure we fill your ears with rugby chat and the usual nonsense from this point forward. Please like and share the podcast as always, and don't forget about our back collection. There's an inevitable conclusion to this. A brilliant finish. This is Grassroots, women's rugby from the roots up.